Welcome to the Contractor Success Map Podcast. I'm your host, Bradley Hart, and I'm an expert on how you can get the most out of your contracting company. The reason I designed this show is to help you turn your contracting company from a people-dependent money pit into a process-dependent cash cow to have the freedom you dreamed of when you start your business. Every Friday, we're releasing podcasts with information to help you get the most out of your contracting company. Be sure to join us at www.contractorsuccessmap.com and subscribe to receive our latest articles and special offers. And the best part, it's all free, just for you. This podcast is part two of the Kelly Paxton interview. I hope you enjoy it because it's very, very informative. And just to review again, uh, Kelly Paxton is a certified fraud examiner and someone who's very skilled in embezzlement. And she has a website called pinkcollarcrime.com. So I'm very happy to announce this is part two of the two-part podcast interview with Kelly Paxton. Hope you enjoy it. So I had a, a friend, a lifetime friend. Mm-hmm. She uh, and her brother and sister owned a business. And my friend was kind of the, she was the money person. Her brother was the CEO. Okay. And they had an office manager, and the other sister was silent. They had okay. an office manager, and the office manager went to Costco, and she upshopped, as I called it, meaning she bought all the stuff for the office, and then she threw a couple of pairs of jeans in for her husband. Upshopped, so when my, I love that. Yeah, yeah, upshopping. <laughs> um, so my, my friend, the mm-hmm. finance person, goes to her brother and said, you know, I can't remember her name, but... Um, she needs to be fired. She bought some jeans at Costco and you know, that that's unacceptable. Mm -hmm. And the brother is like, she'll pay us back. It's no big deal. And my friend, um, who is funny growing up, we played office together. Like we literally had little, you know, receipt books. That was what we did growing up. Scary. Love it. But, um, (laughs) so she, uh, goes, you need to fire her. But he did, the brother didn't, and then the brother ends up buying out his two sisters. Okay. And um, so my friend is out of the business. And a couple of years later, I'm opening the paper when we have papers. And mm-hmm. I see this story about this manufacturer who has been ripped off to the tune of a half a million dollars. Wow. And I see the name. So I call my friend, the, mm-hmm. the, you know, that did the money. And I said, so... You guys got a little problem there? She goes, well, you know, we got bought out. The two sisters got bought out. And um, that was the woman who sto- who upshopped. And um, the interesting thing was her brother kept the woman on. She had okay. a raging gambling problem. She stole a half a million dollars. But my friend said, we didn't have that kind of cash flow. And I said, what? She what? goes, we didn't have that. And I said, yeah, you did. I go, I've, I've done these cases that was in the county where I was a fraud analyst. I said, they can't charge unless the money is shown to have gone to her. She goes, oh, no, we didn't no. have that cash flow. So I think you know where I'm going with this. I suddenly think I may have figured it out. Go ahead. Okay. Yes. What, what's your What's your idea? This is a, a, a guess, but I'm wondering if whether they did... They did not report all the income on their loss. <laughs> oh, yeah. So they did a business valuation and because they were all good friends. You know, it was a good family relationship. Uh-huh. Um, they used one valuation expert. Okay. And 
the brother had two sets of books. Oh, no. And so I said to my friend, she still couldn't get, I'm like, you realize what this means. Your brother had a different set of books that the business was valued on. She's like, what? Right. And I jokingly said, I can't imagine Thanksgiving was all that great that year with your family when you realized it. Oh, but, no. Yeah. So he had valued the business based on the lesser books. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, this happens. But originally it was two pairs of jeans. And my friend was like, fire her. And he's like, no, she knows us. We know her. It's not a big deal. Half a million dollars later. That's hard money. Yes, it is hard money. Yes, absolutely, yeah. yes. Yeah. Two sets but, of books. Uh, this is interesting. Let's, let's, um, I know that there are some contractors, you know, I don't know what percentage is. I'm sure it's a really small percentage. But there are some contractors that do what we call hip national bank. And it's happened occasionally, once or twice to us. You know, a contractor comes in, he's, and I said, okay, we got an invoice here. Well, yeah, I got paid in cash, and so I put it in the National Bank. And I said, hey, that's great. So who is your new accountant? Because we're done. You're fine. Scary, scary, scary. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know what? I mean, say you're ripped off huge, where it's going gonna, it's gonna to cause you to possibly go out of business, and you've mm -hmm. been doing two sets of books. It, how are you, you know, how are you going to respond to that? It's, it's penny-wise, pound-foolish. Yes. You know, yes. Um, so I, yeah, uh, but it, it, it happens. I mean, you know, you think you're, you think you're doing the right thing and then something throws you off track and then you go back and you realize that, oh, that was a big mistake. Big, big mistake. Oh, so. absolutely. No question about it. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Um, do you, uh, for, the, for our listeners, who are listening to what we're talking about here, and it all makes sense. Are, are there services that you can provide to contractors um, that they could be able to, to hire your services? Or you, know, you got a website, do you have downloads, do you have books? Do you have uh, things that they can connect with you on? Well, and I'm working on a book. Okay. <laughs> I'm working on a book. Okay. And um, I have a colleague who is also a certified fraud examiner. And we've worked together in the past because I'm not an accountant. I just know enough to be dangerous. But when, when, yeah, I know about EBITDA. And um, I, uh, there are ways you can look for things that, um, you know, with analytics and things will pop out. So mm -hmm. I do have that capability to do that. And granted, I think you have that capability to do that with, I mean, you know, all the tools that you have out there. I mean, mm -hmm. I love to play with Excel and pivot tables, but I'm not near as quick as someone like you. Mm -hmm. But if you were, if someone were to come to you and you see things, I could work with you and we could say, okay, this doesn't make sense. Ah, um, okay, okay. Where, so things as simple as, um, I mean, I say as simple, but for example, you pay all your, accounts receivable on day 25. But G1 vendor always gets paid on day five. Hmm. Why? That's a pink flag, red flag, pink flag. Um, mm -hmm. Checks are cut on weekends, but only for certain vendors. 
Like, mm. why, why are checks being cut on weekends? Um, things like that, where the data analytics will quickly go in and spit that out. And sometimes there might be a reason. Maybe the person that you pay on day five, they give you a discount and no one else gives you a discount. And so you look at it and go, oh, you pull, you pull the, you know, supporting documentation. It's like, okay, this is why. Okay. Data, okay. data analytics does a lot of that sort of stuff. Now, what about your vendor master? I mean, a lot of contractors have huge vendor masters. All of a sudden, ABC, say you have an employee that's name is, you know, Angela uh, Carter. And all okay. of a sudden, you have a new vendor that is AC Incorporated. And it has the same zip code as Angela Carter. Like it would ah. kick that out. So, sure. you know, who, who does the vendor master? Who approves it? Or who can even change the vendor master? That's a control that you need to be aware of. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, I, I read this book, um, The Ugly Truth About Cash, which I'm introducing you to that. And the mm -hmm. examples that they gave in there were just, you know, payroll. So, all of a sudden, they changed their payroll. There was a woman down in, of all places, New Zealand. She had okay. gone to the owner of the business, and she mm -hmm. did his books. And she wanted a $300 a month raise, and he could more than afford a $300 a month raise. He turned her down. He said no. Okay. What does she do? For seven years, she gives herself a $300 a month raise. <laughs> okay. He never looked at it because payroll, like, you know, it, it's not – all the same all the time you have overtime and you know mm -hmm. so paying attention to things like that adding people to insurance that can't be on insurance ghost employees doing side jobs there are so many ways mm -hmm. um and you know you're all about costing and being able to do that well i'm not about that but you could say this is you would look at certain ratios and go that's way off in so, fact, we do. That's true. We do. Yeah. So I generally work with, I'm going to say, a hard accountant. I'm a soft accountant because mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not I'm not an accountant and I only play one on television. No, um, <laughs> but there are certain things. So like my one friend who's a CFE and a CPA, mm -hmm. whenever we do Excel, and then he creates his pivot tables and I create my pivot tables. We're always looking at different things, which is just fascinating to me because he's focusing on, you know, certain things and I'm focusing completely on other things. And then we combine them and it's like, okay, these are the hot spots. Ah, okay. Yeah. The yeah. intersections. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. It's, four eyes are always better than two eyes. I think. Oh, absolutely. You, you yeah. are so right. Yeah. Well, this is interesting because, um, we uh, a lot of smaller contractors, the ones that are doing you know two to hundred thousand a year in gross sales, and they usually uh, they don't have a, an in-house person. But we do have contractors that are doing several million a year, and I'm thinking about that situation. Uh, even the contractor listening to this podcast, you know, if you're doing several million dollars a year, and if you have any concerns that you know maybe you got a problem, I don't know. My advice throughout the bat is go to your website and go to www.pinkcollar.crime. I'm sorry, www.pinkcollarcrime.com and, and connect up with Kelly because I think that you could be a real resource for those contractors 
that are having problems and we've run across this occasionally so i can see there's a possibility that we can work together um but like i say anybody's listening to this podcast if you've got a problem i'd just go right to kelly to start with and see what you guys can work out because you thank know, contra- you you're welcome you know contractors and and medical field and everybody else you know it's it's a huge problem um i can see it and it sounds like that you have the ability Part of your, your skill sets, you have the ability you know, for a fee, nothing's, nothing's uh, free, but for a fee, you could go in and find some of those issues. Now, the other thing I want to kind of focus in a little bit is what you said earlier about doing background checks. Now, one of the things we do here that makes us different from most accountants is we never, ever, never touch our clients' money. We just don't. So, for example, we actually prepare the payroll, we use ADP and you know paychecks and other places. We prepare the payroll, but when it comes time to approving it, our clients have to go in and put their PIN number in. We don't have it, they approve it, they put it in. Um, we get downloads from the bank, what's called dead transactions. So after the fact transactions, it downloads the about gas and Costco and material. And we put that stuff in the, the QuickBooks. We prepare the, the um, quarterly and monthly financial uh, tax reports, you know, for Department of Avenue and that sort of thing, employment security, L&I. We prepare all those, but the same token is the, our clients need to go to those sites and do the approvals. The same with the 941s and 940s. We prepare those, but the client has to go to the IRS site, approve them, and pay them. Now, it's kind of funny because we've had a number of people, we could actually triple our business if we would go one step further and actually pay all the taxes. We'll never do that. We never touch the money for the very reason you're describing. So <laughs> what the, the story is that we see this a lot for some reason, but a lot of cases it's brothers, uncles, fathers, father-in-laws, mostly not fathers, that will come into the business and help. We saw that took place. Uh, two brothers came in to help and by the time it was all done, they pretty well took the contractor down because of it wasn't really embezzlement as much as it was just out-and-out stupidity. And, yes, we saw that, and I brought it to the attention of the, the primary contractor. I said, you know, you're spending a lot of money on, quote-unquote, project management. Anyway, and I asked, I said, you know, this is your brother. You know this guy really well. Yeah, I do. And when things, the dust cleared and the smoke, the smoke cleared and the dust settled, he said, I found out later that he had disappeared for a few years and nobody knew where he was. Well, apparently he was in prison. So what I'm getting to is you have the ability to do extensive background checks for the contractors who are in substantial money. Is that a service that you offer? Yeah. Um, you know, I prefer to call them lifestyle checks. Lifestyle checks, okay. <laughs> um, and part of it is, especially in a in a a smaller type business is you can, I mean, you know, your employees, employees talk and when things don't make sense. Now in Oregon, we used to be able to run credit checks, Mm -hmm. but we can't do that anymore unless you're in law enforcement or there's, there's certain rules around it. Um, Credit checks are very valuable, but you know, the fair credit reporting act actually covers that. And you're not, you can't do those near as much as you used to be able to. Um, so it's 
it's more kind of like a check-in, like, <laughs> um, you know, what's going on? And people, circumstances change. And people have to understand that, you know, you don't always stay in your lane. And unfortunately, people go to the wrong lane. They go the fast lane. Mm-hmm. And um, so in smaller businesses, right, when someone shows up in the brand new Escalade, um, this is one of the other things that I give as a pink flag is, say you have an employee who um, gets garnished or, okay. you know, there's, there's a lien or something like that. That's a cash flow issue because they're used to getting X and now they're getting X minus Y in their paycheck. Now oh. it does not, it doesn't mean that they're going to steal, but it's mm-hmm. just something to maybe pay attention to. Say you have an employee who always has been married filing one and now they're single filing 10. That's a cash flow issue. Wow. Yes. Uh, say your employee always, you know, uh, puts 5% in the retirement plan mm-hmm. and stops it. Why? Is it because mm. they need cash? Things like that to kind of maybe just pop into your head like, hey, you know what? There might be some issue there. I had one um, business where there was a, a an on-site manager and then an off-site partner and the mm-hmm. off-site partner got wind of the fact that he thought they were doing cash payments. And okay. originally when they started the business, it was a, it was an auto mechanic business. When they okay. started the business, they had an agreement that they would never take cash. And he got wind of the fact that he heard that maybe his on-site person was taking cash. So he comes and he talks to us. And I mean, I will admit, I am not cheap. And he's like, I can't afford that. And I said, if you really think he's taking cash, I'm going to tell you what to do. And he's like, ah, what is it? I said, get a friend who is unbeknownst to the on-site person. Have him go in and, I don't know, get an oil change or whatever it is. And when he gets his car back, have the guy try to pay cash and see what happens. Mm. And he's like, oh. So he never came back to us, which I assume meant that, you know, (laughs) he probably broke up with the partner or they shut the business down. But um, simple little things like that. If you think you have an employee that's doing a side job and you're pretty sure about it, I had a case where I had an excavator who thought his employee was doing side jobs. And so, you know, we went in and we pulled all the tickets and then we looked at mileage. And um, if you think that's happening, try and get someone to pay cash on a side job and see if they take it. And if they mm-hmm. take it and don't report it, okay. then, you know, for contractors, I think side jobs are probably a really big, you know, fib for them. Huge, huge so problem. That's kind of part of my little fraud therapist coach is let's think outside the box. Say, you know, you don't want to spend five or 10 or $15,000. Let's try and get it so we can show that there's bad behavior happening, yet you don't have to, you know, prove it to the bar of beyond a reasonable doubt. Right, right. This all ties back to your fraud triangle. I love that, you know, with the opportunity, rationalization, and pressure. And what what you're saying, what I'm hearing, Kelly, is you're saying take away the opportunity. Yep. Because, yeah, they'll go somewhere else and and do something. That's too bad. It's just how it is. But I I keep hearing the opportunity. 
you know, taking cash is an opportunity. Uh, doing side work for contractors is a huge opportunity. And just to segue briefly, you know, now GPS is everywhere. But yep. uh, we, we had a plumbing mechanical business back in the, uh, the 80s and 90s. And at the time, we actually had GPS units installed in our trucks. And oh my gosh, I forget, like four or five grand. They were just really expensive. They paid for themselves many times over because we had to dial in. It was, you know, back in the days of dial up, you know, 56K bond. But we could dial into the service and we could find the location of a van. And we saw that the van was, you know, like 20 or 30 miles away from where it was supposed to be. And then I would send a couple of guys out in a pickup truck and they'd just go pop the truck. Yeah. And we'd find out later, you know, the plumber called up and said, uh, my truck's missing. I said, really? Where you at? Well, I was on the job site. What job site? At 123 Elm Street, working for Mary and Jane Doe. And I said, no, you weren't. <laughs> you were in Everett. You're like 30 miles away. And I'm not sure you're doing. Well, I had to. It was a friend of mine doing a little side job. I said, "Great, then that friend will hire you," because yeah. you're done here. So yes, you're right. Uh, this is a huge problem, and this is why we encourage all our contractors to, you know, there's all kinds of uh, time tracking software out there. We, we like T sheets, and that time tracking software has GPS built into it, so that they can always, at least, know where the the employee is not necessarily the truck, but if the truck and the employer together, you know, so be it. But yeah, that is a huge problem. Side work, oh my gosh, it's makes my blood yeah. boil, but it does happen. And you're right, there's no question about it. So yeah, your stories I'm, are great. I, I love your stories. Do you have another one? This is, this is fantastic. So this is this is one story that um, and um, I I am in no way mocking anyone at all. Mm -hmm. Is okay. that um. You're a business owner. You're successful, and uh, and you're smart. But the problem is, is the people that are down in the weeds. They are in the weeds, and they have the capabilities to steal. So there is in your neck of the woods too. I I hate to say it. I love this story. There's a guy who was one of the first astronauts. He did the lunar landing. Um, okay. He was on Boeing's board of, you know, board. He's a nuclear engineer. He got wow. ripped almost three hundred or almost three quarters of a million dollars. The point being, it doesn't matter how smart you are. Um, you can be stolen from. I, I did this presentation. It, I will call it my masters of the universe. It was a very select group of people, very successful business owners. You have to have a certain amount of, you know, sales and employees and, and they're smart. I mean, they are really, really smart. Mm -hmm. And I did the presentation saying, you realize you are really, really smart. However, you're not down in the weeds. And these people that are down in the weeds, they know where they can drive a truck through. So just, and this goes to, I mean, I'm going to say the pink collar side of it is just because someone is in an administrative a receptionist an office manager position does not mean they are not as smart as you. They might be in that position because, you know, they didn't have the opportunity to go to college or they need a job that they can work nine to three because they've got childcare issues. It doesn't mean because they're in a lesser position on the org chart than you that they are not as smart as you. 
And right. I, if a nuclear physicist can get ripped off, and, you know, I had uh, my father-in-law was a brain surgeon. He got ripped off. Smartest man oh, I've ever yeah. met. Yeah, because, I mean, really, when you think about it, do you want a brain surgeon who is really good with um, Excel? Or do you want one who's really good with your head? Your oh, head. Absolutely. Just, yes. like, just like dentists. You don't pick a dentist out because he's got a better P&L than the next. You do it because... He's good on your mouth. Yes. And that's not their strength. It also goes to the business owners. It's like, you know, my dad got ripped off. His was a little bit different and it was a teeny, teeny amount. And he jokingly said to me, he goes, at that point, I knew she was smarter than me. And I'm like, yeah, thanks. (laughs) So (laughs) I was putting a little salt in the wound. But yeah, (laughs) I mean, just because they're in... A, a lesser position on the org chart doesn't mean they're not smart. They're in the weeds. They're doing the work. You guys are at the 50,000 foot level and they're down below. And they exactly. know where the leakage can happen. That makes perfect sense. Hey, can we segue into something that's uh, very related to this? Because um, again, your website is pinkcollarcrime.com. And before the, the this interview, we were chatting about that a little bit, and, and you had some really good information about um, misconceptions, and I admit I'm one of the people that I thought most of the uh, embezzlement was guys. I just presumed it was guys. But your whole premise is based on that women are very much in running, if not ahead of the game. So can you help the, con- the contractors and the listeners of this podcast, give them some ideas about um, men versus women in embezzlement and and what your thoughts are and your experiences in that? Sure. So I am, um, and maybe it's self-selecting that I am known as the pink color crime person. Mm-hmm. I come at it from law enforcement, not from academia. So I'm not a criminologist. But in okay. my personal experience, the biggest cases I have had with the largest dollar amounts over a short period of time, it's going to be a man's feeling. The women steal 45 to 53 cents on the dollar because they're in lesser positions, but they do it for a longer period of time. So I had one woman who stole a million dollars, but over 10 years, whereas I had a man steal three quarters of a million dollars in one fail swoop in a very short period of time. Okay. Okay. So the the reason it's pink collar, it's not based on... um, gender it's based on the position so you're seeing pink color jobs are office managers receptionists bookkeepers and they're generally filled by women i get a lot of people when i speak you know around the country they'll ask me can a man be a pink color criminal i just had one who stole 1.2 million dollars i saw in florida absolutely a man can be it it's the position so if you have an office manager who's a male He's going to be a pink-collar criminal. Right, right. So I said at the beginning, I had all women embezzlers at the sheriff's office, with the exception of one man, and I say he stole like a woman. He stole, he had a sick child. He upshopped at Costco. He worked for a homeowner's association. Oh, and no. he stole. Yeah, and he stole not very much. So I jokingly say he stole like a woman. Um because he had a, 
men and women steal for different reasons. Hmm. Men, women generally have a genuine financial need initially. Okay. Men may not have that strong of financial need, but they have access to more money and they steal. True. Therefore, um, there are differences between the sexes mm -hmm. and it, you won't get a, a woman who um, you will get more women who, when they confess, women also confess in my experience. And I've seen this in studies, they will confess quicker than men. Hmm. And in my personal experience, it's been that. Hmm. So, um, but a woman's going to throw her family and her financial condition out before a man according to the ACFE report to the nations sure. they will because you know the husband left the the spouse you know got laid off the kid was sick there's a woman who did a study um in the 70s she wrote the book in 1981 Dorothy Zeitz women who embezzle or defraud and they will they will say it was to maintain stability in their family and men will say that you know it was to they say men steal for three the three w's wine women or wagers <laughs> okay sure but i see plenty of women who it might start out as like you know the kid who needed the extra money to go to the trip you know the school trip but then mm -hmm. they're kind of like oh well that makes life easier i also had a woman who stole from a vineyard like a wine mm -hmm. tasting room yeah. and she had a boyfriend and um, let's just say that her boyfriend was very good looking and okay. she wasn't, she was, she was reaching up and he was reaching down okay. and um, he treated her a lot better when she had money. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, truly. And uh, the, the, it was funny. The grand jury wanted us to um, look at, the boyfriend, we could have never proved he knew where the money came from. So he didn't get indicted. She actually ended up getting um, seven years in uh, wow. jail. Okay. So, um, yeah, there, there are differences, but it's the position more than, and it just turns out that, you know, if you look at Bureau of Labor Statistics, there are more women in, quote, pink collar positions. That, that makes perfect sense. Yes, it does. Yeah. And are we talking that the, are we talking to women that are in their twenties and thirties? You know that uh, they need the, the cash and and they they have lifestyle to maintain. So are, is that kind of the or is there a different persona that you've experienced? Well, that's interesting because I have um, uh, I have seen all ages. I have an eighty year old woman who was a retired government employee. He stole twenty grand from a statue like memorial. They're, you know, they shouldn't be stealing. They should be on Social Security and down in Sun City enjoying retirement. But um, I just saw a mother and daughter who stole, they think it's almost a million dollars from a company back east. So wow. she didn't, she didn't teach her daughter how to bake. She taught her daughter how to steal. And the woman oh, was no. 80. Yeah, the woman, the mom was 80 and or 83 and the daughter was in her 50s. There's kind of a sweet and 50. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mother-daughter duo. Wow. So, yeah, crazy. The sweet spot is kind of in mm -hmm. the 40s. 
But I have really? seen it in the low 20s, and I have seen it in the 70s. So, um, but, you know, I mean, we kind of need most money in our 40s. We've got kids, college, all that sort of stuff. That's kind mm-hmm. of when the money is, you know, it's, well, at least for a lot of people, it's that way. No, you're absolutely right. In, in the 40s, you know, the kids are, are getting ready to go to college, and, and we've we've made our major purchases with the home and the appliances and the furniture, but we still have some severe needs. It tends to taper off in the, in the 50s and 60s. Uh, right. But no, you're you're right. That's that's funny. So, so you find that that, that sweet spot, you say that um, that middle ground, that, that high on the on the distribution, the bell curve. That peak is in the in their forties. How interesting! Yeah, but we're talking, and, and we had talked earlier, and you were saying that these are people that you wouldn't necessarily know by looking at them. You know, these no. are these are like what moms and and people that uh, are pillars of the community, this sort of thing. But we're not we're not talking we're not talking the hardened criminal type person who nope. looks mean and looks hard and looks like they've been around the block and they're tough. The kind of people that you'd cross the street you know, when, you, when you see them, it's like, oh, this person looks a little a little tough. But these are, you're describing the people that um, very likable and just you'd, you wouldn't even notice them. Is that correct? Or what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I, so when I go and I do these presentations, I've always wanted to do this and I haven't been able to because, you know, it doesn't make financial sense to do it. But I would love to have put a pink collar criminal in the audience and then say, like, hey, look around, pick out the pink collar criminal. You're not going to be able uh, to find out who it is. Sure. And, 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 and when, yeah. And when you see my Twitter feed, mm-hmm. I, when I can, I send I put up pictures of the people who have stolen and um you know <laughs> granted they're mug shots a lot of the times and they're not the greatest pictures but you're kind of like yeah they look like me you know i mean they're not all padded up in in portland we had this thing a long time ago where they showed the the consequences of meth and you would okay. see just awful you know pictures now i put up i'll do a, a screenshot of a Google search, women embezzlers, and I'll do a screenshot, and not one of them looks scary. Really? But, yeah. Yeah, not one. I'll be darned. So, yeah. It's the stereo, it's the stereotypical mom, daughter, sister, grandma. You know, hmm. not the not the tatted up, big, bulky, mean, you know. No. <laughs> These are people that live amongst us. They're right there. They're next door. They're in our businesses, and we're not really paying attention. Yeah, absolutely. Can I ask you something on a quick side note? Uh, you mentioned your Twitter feed. Uh, what is your Twitter feed address? How can people find you on Twitter? Uh, PDXCFE. Oh, okay. That's your your Twitter feed. PDXCFE. Okay. Yep. All right. So, if you're listening to this podcast, definitely take a peek at PDXCFE. I bet you're going to get a lot of good information there. And I started following uh, Kelly on that. So that's interesting. I'm, I'm still kind of trying to process the 80-year-old women that are embezzling. I mean, I'm with you. They should be in Sun City enjoying life or doing something, you know, playing golf or hiking or whatever. But 
You know, at <laughs> 80, I can't, it's astounding. So the 80-year-old the woman is, obviously, there was some kind of a, go back to your fraud triangle, there was some kind of an, uh, there was a, some pressure, and they rationalized, and there was some kind of an opportunity. There was some pressure somewhere that needed money for something. Was that what happened? Or? Yeah. I, yeah, so I guess that, you know, maybe she had a bad bingo habit. I don't, I, I, I've tweeted so many stories about different, you know, reasons as to why. But um, I actually have a colleague who I've met through LinkedIn, and I'm known as the pink collar crime person. She's known as the gray collar. And there's a whole, and I didn't even realize this. Um, there's a whole world out there. She did work for a special investigation unit for an insurance company of older people that are committing insurance fraud. You know, she really? had, a, yeah, a woman who, you know, was retired on disability who literally burnt down her house because she couldn't sell what? it for what she put into it. And there's this whole gray collar crime out there, too. So the, and there's red collar crime. So there's a rainbow of crime out there. Um, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. We went into a presentation together where we, because there are some, in her experience, you know, this is mm -hmm. her experience, she's had more female than male, older, um, you know, suspects that committed insurance fraud. You know, really? high. she she worked for a very um, high-end insurance company, and, you know, oh, my, you know, jewelry was stolen, my, you know, $100,000 wedding ring, and, and she had more women. And so that's how she found me, actually. And so we become, you know, we're kind of, we bounce ideas back and forth on each other. But yeah, yeah. Wow. And her experiences, and I mean, some of her worst cases, she's like, <laughs> yeah. So kind of crazy. Wow. It is crazy. It really is. You know, the, the one big takeaway I'm, I'm getting from this, this is a great interview, and I appreciate your time. The one big takeaway I get is your fraud triangle. So people, you know, everybody, not just contractors, people need to be aware of the opportunity. And if they can close the opportunities, then they're halfway there. You know, the old uh, saying that I've heard from, a, I guess, a lot of friends in law enforcement, and one of my good friends, law enforcement, said, you know, Randall, why do you have a lock on your front door? Why do you have a lock on your car? I said, because I lock stuff. And he said, you know, the lock does not keep a thief out who wants in. I said, well, that's probably true. So I said, okay, why do I have a lock in my car and, and house and whatnot? He said, all you're doing is you're keeping the honest person honest, and you're telling the thief, they rattle that doorknob, hmm, I can break in here or I can rattle 15 more doorknobs and I'll find when it's open. I can tug on car doors and I'll, you know, maybe the first 14 of them or whatever are, are locked, but that number 15 or 16 car door is unlocked. So he said, that's all you're doing is you're just making it uh, so that they're more inclined to go elsewhere. And I hate to say this, but I'm going to say it. People listen to this podcast, if you can remove the opportunity as much as possible, or if you see there's a problem, maybe they're under pressure, as Kelly says, or they, they're going to rationalize. So if you can remove the opportunities, then you, you may not stop them from embezzling, but maybe they won't embezzle at your location to go someplace else. Now, that's cruel, but that's just how it is. Does that make sense? Yeah, So, but I do want to clarify. I didn't come up with the fraud triangle. That's actually... Oh. Um, 
from, I, I believe it's uh, Donald Cressy. I mean, I follow, oh. but um, it, it's a big thing in criminology is the fraud triangle. And now there's actually talking about there's the fraud Pentagon. And um, But oh, no. I, to keep it pretty simple, it's the fraud sure. triangle. And it's that opportunity, pressure, and rationalization. And, you know, I mean, you could pay your office manager a million dollars, but if they have a gambling habit or a sick child or, um, you know, they may steal from you unless they can't get at the money. Correct. And if they can't get at the money, they might be more inclined to go elsewhere. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, that, this is this is key. Yeah. Well, Kelly, I need to wrap this up. This has been fantastic. We really appreciate you taking the time today. And in closing, can you tell us um, how the listeners can contact you? Sure. I'm on LinkedIn on, at Kelly Paxton. I'm on Twitter at PDXCFE. And my website, either pinkcollarcrime.com or kellypaxton.com. Either of any of those, you can reach out and direct message me, and I will answer you right away. Excellent. Well, Kelly, I really appreciate your time. This has been a fantastic interview, and I hope you have a wonderful afternoon and, and, a, and a great uh, week and year. Well, thank you so much for having me, and I think we found each other going down in some rabbit hole, and I am so glad that we found each other because I think you have a great business, and you're there to protect your clients. Uh, thank you, Kelly. You, you've nailed it. That's the absolute truth. Well, thank you very much. Bye for now. Bye-bye. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on how to turn your contracting company into a process-dependent cash cow. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to the Contractor Success Map. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star rating and review here on iTunes. And make sure to head over to www.contractorsuccessmap.com to subscribe to receive the latest articles and special offers. If you'd like to discuss your business strategy, simply click on the button labeled Strategy Session. And the best part, it's all free, just for you.